is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're you two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Tuesday, May 16th, and we are finally past the second round of NBA and NHL playoffs. We're finally into the conference finals of both sports, which is it, it usually times itself around this way. So, like, you know, both sports are usually done with whatever seven game series uh, ends up being in the second round of, of both sports play second rounds respectively. But yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool timing here. We've got uh, the, the stars won last night, game seven against the Kraken sent them walking, which was a really exciting game. Honestly, the stars were up two zero almost the whole game. I mean, they were, I think they scored their second goal with about three minutes left in the second period. And then, Actually, in the last 17 seconds of the game, the Kraken came back and scored one goal, and it was looking like they could score another one, uh, but they couldn't. They couldn't pull it off, so the Stars ended up winning in regulation. But so we have the Stars moving on. They were the last ones to move on in the NHL, uh, last ones to move on to the the Western Conference Finals, and then uh, we had the Celtics were the last ones to move on in the in the NBA to the Eastern Conference Finals, and they will be facing the Heat. So we've got. We got a lot of good uh, playoff series yet to come here. Obviously, conference finals are um, the second best thing next to the actual finals in in both NHL and NBA. So we're super stoked for that. We're going to be bringing you NBA and NHL talk today, and then we're also going to have our rundown at the end at the end of the episode. We're going to make that a regular thing. If you weren't here for last episode, we kind of introduced this new topic that probably should have been made a long time ago because it's called rundown, and it's kind of just. Uh, an overview of the big news that we don't want to go too in depth on, but that we still want to touch up on and give a little bit of our opinion slash thoughts. So that segment usually won't usually doesn't last, you know, more than 10 minutes or so, but the bulk of this episode is obviously going to be NBA and NHL. And it's it's honestly kind of similar topics here. So I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, you guys can probably guess which teams we're going to be talking about from both the NBA and, and NHL hint. They're both, knocked out at this point of, of both playoff runs. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Matt is on the other end here. Matt, how are you? Well, also hint, they're both going to be in the title of the episode. So uh, oh, good yeah, job. Good job disclosing your really secretive yeah, uh, too, yep. guessing mechanisms yeah. there, Hayden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, he's right. It, it Both of the second rounds are done. So we have both conference finals set for both the NBA and the NHL. It seems like it flew by uh, at least, at least for me. And um, I, I mean, I don't know. I think it was, it's been good I, for whatever reason. And maybe it's just because I've been moving recently and there's just a ton of stuff going on. Um, and also because I'm, I'm, I've had a lot of Netflix and other shows to catch up on. I'm probably prioritizing those a little bit, but a lot of it, I don't know. I just, I feel like a lot of the games have been blowouts, both in both sports, NBA and NHL, especially, especially more so in the NHL, which kind of sucks because again, that's kind of like the more undercovered league or, or the, you know, the, the league that doesn't get as much, you know, TV ratings and entertainment value and whatever. Um, but yeah, it just is like, aside from that game that Hayden was talking about the, the stars in the crack in game seven, like it was a game seven. It was definitely a game seven atmosphere. The score, you know, showed that obviously being only a two, one score, but it's like, if the games weren't blowouts, they were like very low scoring games, which again, if you were, you know, a huge fan of the sport, then that shouldn't really matter to you. If, if you're kind of more of a casual fan, then you're like, all right, well, let me get a lot of goals and have it be a, you know, a, a contest, a, a, a close game, at least, you know, where it's, you're scoring a lot of goals and, and it's still close. So, um, but even, I mean, right. It was, it was almost like, 
okay, yeah, you know, the Lakers won game one in Golden State, so who's going to win game two? Oh, Golden State's going to blow them out. Well, who's going to win game three? It's going to be good. And it's just like, I feel like it was it was either like you could call the winner of who was going to win each of the games, or it was like a, a big surprise on who won the game, but they weren't, you know, they were, they were kind of crushing the entire time. I think the Boston and Philly series is a great example of this. Like, I mean, Philly won two games in Boston, Boston won two games in Philly. Right. And, and, but both, I think all four of those games, well, I think two of them were close, but the ones that mattered really game five and game six were both blowouts. I mean, Boston was never leading in a game that they lost to Philly in game five, a closeout game five um, or or potential, you know, going up in the series. And then, and then Philly responds by, you know, being in playing game six and, and, you know, I don't think they were, well, yeah, I mean, they weren't really, Game seven was worse, but um, but it was still, you know, whatever. So I think that that was kind of my my takeaway, at least for these playoffs so far, is I feel like I've I've had the games on, but I'm almost like not entertained by them in a way, uh, which, again, is I guess it's just a product of maybe it's just kind of a fluky year or whatever. But uh, but yeah, I mean, there's plenty to talk about in terms of the drama and everything that happened. So we'll get into all that. Yeah. And you didn't even mention game seven of the of the Celtics Sixers series, which was 24 point blowout by the Celtics over the over the six yeah well I, and- I, I yeah that obviously i i kind of i meant to include that i more so was saying like we got surprising upset it, it was like in a, in a situation where you're thinking like okay this home team is just gonna go you know run away with it in multiple instances the the road team won you know in like the impose at the opposing team's home court but like they were blowouts though so it wasn't like Oh, Philly's like really, you know, they're they're getting all of Boston that they can in Boston, and then you know the Phillies Philly ends up winning. Okay, great, you know that that was a great game, and Boston ended up coming back and whatever. There was a couple of the games like that, but I just felt like that towards the end of the series, despite the fact that the road teams are winning the games, they were still blowing out the opponent, like the home team on their home floor, and it wasn't even really competitive. Obviously, yes, you know, to add to that, there was a, a basically a non-competitive game seven. Although in the first quarter, I think the, I think the Sixers were up by nine at some points in the first quarter. And then obviously, uh, you know, kind of tailed off from there, but I do think that that leads pretty well into our first topic. So Hayden, take it away. Yeah, that's exactly right. There was also, I, I kind of agree with that. And there's, there's this phenomenon that's going on. Obviously when a home team is losing by a lot, a lot of the fans leave the stadium, but there's been, there's been a phenomenon as a result of everything that Matt's mentioning, which is these playoff games that are obviously very hard to get into and very hard to, you know, get tickets to and very expensive and everything like that towards the end of games, you know, after the third quarter of, of NBA games, sometimes the arenas are like half full or three quarters full. And, you know, because people are leaving because their team is getting blown out at home. So I can, I can definitely see where Matt's coming from there, but yes, just to get right into it, let's uh, start, let's start off with NBA. So there have been 14 different NBA teams that have reached the Eastern or Western Conference Finals since the 2017-2018 season. So that's five years ago. And despite having the second best combined regular season record in the league over that same five-year span, the Sixers, yours truly, still haven't managed to be one of those 14 teams and reach the Eastern Conference Finals. What do we make of this, Matt? I, I, I'm i just going to pose this question to you because I you probably have a lot to say about it. There's also some other stuff that we can get into, uh, I guess, kind of later on in this topic regarding what James Harden and what Joel Embiid said after the game, uh, game seven. They both had two quotes that were pretty memorable and pretty uh, controversial slash memor- I mean, uh, important. So we'll go over those in a little bit, but I just want to get your first thoughts on this stat that I found, um, you know, regarding basically half of the NBA making it to either the Western or Eastern conference finals. 
Um, and the Sixers, despite being top two best teams in terms of regular season over that same span, they haven't been able to make it to Eastern Conference Finals. What do you think? I think the process is over, and I think we can kind of finally uh, deem that as as truth, especially now, too. And this is even more bre- recent breaking news since me and Hayden even wrote the topic, and that's that um, Doc Rivers, their coach, had been has been fired as well. So really, I mean, I they're not blowing it up, I don't think, or at least... I mean, I don't know. I think there's still some pieces there, but, but in terms of just kind of this iteration of a Celtics team, which we saw have success in the playoffs, but never even reach the conference finals, I think is indicative of the fact that this is kind of just over now. Right. And, and this is a process that again, started in 2014. That's almost 10 years ago. Uh, and, and the guy, Sam Hinkey, who's, who's kind of started all this, he's the general manager for the Celts or for the, for the 76ers, I think has probably run the course as like give been given the most leniency in the history of sports for basically purposely fail. Like it's like one of those things where you see, you hear people talking about all the time, like, Oh, like the people who do the weather on the nightly nightly news and whatever, it's like, those are the only people that can be, that can be, you know, every day they can be wrong at their job and it doesn't really matter because you're never going to be able to, you know, accurately hundred percent predict the weather. It's like he got that treatment, but as the GM of one of the most wealthy basketball teams, in the entire world, like those two just don't add up in my mind. Right. But again, whoever he was able to convince and however long they were able to, to, you know, let it slide for, he, he kind of just proved that this whole thing didn't work from the beginning. Now, obviously your, your cornerstone piece of the team and of the process has been Joel Embiid from the beginning. Right. And, and despite the first couple of years where it was looking like he was hurt a lot, and I don't think he even played a full season until, um, or maybe, maybe not ever, but he at least didn't play, you know, a, a significant portion of the season, I think until his third or fourth year in the league. And so you already have that kind of stench that's emanating from the building of like, this is probably doomed from the start. You also have to realize that the, the, the year after they drafted Joel Embiid, he didn't really play in his first year. And I think they had the number one pick in the following year. They picked Markel Fultz. So if anybody is remembering that debacle, um, Markel Fultz, a, a Washington product who was the overall number, you know, number one overall pick in the draft, and then just decided that he couldn't shoot the basketball for whatever reason, uh, or never really could. And nobody ever actually took the time of day to, to actually look into it. Uh, but either way, it was kind of like, okay, these are your first two picks. And this is kind of, you know, probably eminent of the fact that it, it might not work out. Now, obviously, since then, oh, Joel Embiid has risen to being one of the best players in the NBA. He won his first or he won the he won the NBA NBA MVP this year. Um, I think it's clear now that he probably wasn't the MVP of the league. I think it was again, it should have been Joe, no, Nikola Jokic. Um, I bet on Jokic to win the to win the MVP. So I'm probably a little bit more salty than than most. And, and I'm taking a more subjective view than uh, than I probably should. But but just looking at these teams so far in the playoffs, the Nuggets have been the best team in the playoffs and Joel or Nikki Nikola Jokic averaged a triple double against the Suns and they won in six like Joel Embiid had 15 points in game seven of this series and and I realized that the Celtics are an, a, a better team overall so yes the Celtics were favored to win the series but if you get two games in Boston like you have to be able to you, you or you have to think that at least you have a chance of winning that series and that you guys aren't or the teams aren't as unevenly matched as people are saying. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I kind of just went off on a bunch of tangents there um, all to say that obviously, right. This whole 
idea of the process is is pretty much gone now. It'll be interesting to see if Sam Hinkie keeps his job because again, this is essentially you, you were telling a fan base full of of people and 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 great fans at that, right? The fans of Philly sports are are one of the best in the entire world. You're basically telling them to that that we're gonna suck and we're gonna lose as many games as possible over the course of a five to six year span. But don't worry, it'll be worth it. And it's like what ended up them saying was going to be worth it turned into. I think the last four years of winning a, a winning your first round playoff series and then and then losing, uh, you know, losing in the second round, never even making a, a conference final. So is this, you know, the process is this coaching with Doc Rivers, who has been known to choke in game sevens, not only in you know playoffs in general, but in game sevens as well. Basically, ever since he lost Boston, ever, ever since he left Boston, ironically, is where he won those two championships. And ever since then, with the Clippers uh, and, and the 76ers, he hasn't been able to pull it together. So, yes, you know, you get rid of you get rid of of, uh, of Doc Rivers. Do you you know what do you do with Embiid now? Clearly, yes, he's still one of the best players in the entire league. But, you know, if he can't perform and, 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 you know, lead his team to victory in a game seven. And again, I, I realize that the Celtics are a better team and Jason Tatum, you know, played to his ability, but many people would say Joel Embiid's a better player than Jason Tatum, but look what happened on Sunday, right? It was Jason Tatum who had like 30 to 40 points, I think in three quarters. So all of that to say, it sucks that, you know, this kind of was the the end of it in, in Philly, especially when it comes to a process and, and a team that I think a lot of people have at least been wanting to affirm to say, hey, this this actually worked. This is a cool concept that this can work out in the NBA, uh, but it didn't. Right. And I, and I think that that, you know, that kind of goes for and it, and it depends too on your picks right so the thunder are, i think are, i think are 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 a good example of a team that right now is in the process of rebuilding and they have really been bad for you know for a while ever since russell westbrook left uh and 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 chris paul and paul george left and, and all that but but like they made the playoffs this year they at least made the play in game as a 10 seed and they're the they're the youngest team in the nba by like an average of i think a year and a half or two years so like Right, maybe maybe not as much as the Pistons, but again, the Pistons sucked. But it's like you know, the Thunder made the playoffs, so it's like it, it depends on who you draft. It depends on when you draft them, and, and and again, it all comes down to luck, right? Like if the Warriors hadn't drafted Steph Curry and 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 Draymond Green in consecutive years or whatever it was, like they wouldn't be where they are today. And there's no way to tell whether or not those players are going to be great. So I think the fact that you know everybody's like, oh well, the tanking will never work in the NBA it's all just a crapshoot at the end of the day too, because, and it's the same for the NFL. Like you, you don't know who are going to be the best, you know, uh, prospects over and over on a year by year basis. And so I think it's, it's, it's just kind of short minded to say that like the process is over. You should never see another, see another team taking again. I, I don't like tanking, you know, personally, but I think it was just, it was just a, a, a bad combination of people and, and, and draft picks and who was involved and who was coaching. It just, it just didn't work out for whatever reason. I have no idea where they go from here. If Hayden has any thoughts on that, I'd love to hear him because I haven't even had time to like digest the fact that, you know, they fired Doc Rivers after, you know, he, he's done all he can with these players. And it's like, now you're stuck with the players uh, and, and not, you know, a legendary coach who's already won a bunch of you know multiple championships. Um, so, yeah, so I, that, those are my thoughts. Again, I, it wasn't necessarily a, uh, I guess a well-formed argument one would say, but I think I, I at least hit on the points that I wanted to. Um, and then after Hayden goes, we, we are going to mention, you know, like we said, um, James Harden and Joe Bell, Joel Embiid both spoke about, you know, their relationships with the teams and the coaches and kind of everything there in between. So we'll get to that after Hayden goes, but, but I like to hear his thoughts. Yeah. Well, and one guy that you didn't even mention, you mentioned Markel Fultz. And when you, when you first introduced the person that you were talking about and you said, you know, they drafted him number one overall and he just ended up not working out. I thought it was Ben Simmons that you were talking about, which they drafted yes. him. Oh my God. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Point. They drafted him 
the year before Markel Fultz. So Ben Simmons was the first overall pick in 2016. Markel Fultz was the first overall pick in 2017. Sixers had, they won the lottery for both of those yeah. years. And that's a perfect point. Yeah. And both players ended up being like the absolute worst number one overall pick you could ever pick. Like two number one overall picks who couldn't shoot the basketball. Like, yeah. it's like you, you don't, we don't even see that these days. Michael Porter Jr. is a great example of someone who, like, he was a one year, you know, one and done. He went to Missouri. He didn't even make the tournament, you know, in his one year there. He had basically broken his spine like the year before he got into the NBA. And like, now the dude's a killer and he's like, he's wet from three and all this. And he's like six ten. He's a point guard. Like he is what Markel Fultz and Ben Simmons should have been. And yeah. he had more red flags coming out of college. Michael Porter Jr. did than both Markel Fultz and Ben Simmons. And it's just weirdly enough, right? These guys just can't shoot. So I think that's an amazing point where it's like, you get the number one pick in the draft, you know, back-to-back years after you've already drafted your cornerstone, Joel Embiid. And for whatever reason, it's like, you, these are the best basketball players in the world and they can't actually play the game of basketball and shoot the ball. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And I think that's also indicative of, I mean, we say it a lot, but that's also indicative of what the NBA is turning into, right? Like you, you've got these finesse players that can finish really well in, in college. And maybe that's also a product of kind of how the how the NBA game is different than the college game. Because in college, these guys look like all-stars because they can finish at the rim in any way possible against kind of smaller, you know, smaller college centers that aren't Joel Embiid size or Nikola Jokic size. They're not seven foot, 280 pounds, right? They're, they might be like 6'10", 250. Um, so it's, it's you know, it's guys that are smaller and basically guys that are their size that they're able to finish over in the rim or at, at the rim in college. In the NBA, you can't really do that. And so I think, I think that teams have learned their lesson in terms of drafting guys that have a bag. AK, like if you don't know what having a bag means, it means basically being able to do anything on the court um, or that's having a bag in general, you can have like specific bags, I guess, which, you know, for in Ben Simmons case, it would be dribbling and passing, even though he's really tall. But again, that's not really like, you can't really do much with that. And in the NBA, you got to be able to shoot. That's what NBA players are good at. That's what separates them from college players because they're so good at shooting. And because they make so many more shots that we, that's why we see so, so much more scoring in the NBA. Obviously there's more threes that are shot. Not in, in the NBA, I think, but like there's just more scoring overall. And yeah, the defense is kind of bad, but at the same, at, on the same token, like there's no way that NBA players are shooting at the same clip as college players and still averaging, you know, 40 more points a game than college players are in, in terms of like the whole team. I mean, so um, yeah, it's, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's hard to diagnose. Um, and also what Matt said about the future of the 76ers, I have no idea either. I mean, you've now got Joel Embiid and James Harden. And again, these are kind of the two guys, the two guys of focus in Philadelphia. And I mean, James, James Harden at this point practically can't even go outside his house for two months after his performance in game seven. Uh, if you guys listen to Stephen a on, I think it was first take the next day after the Philly loss, he was, he told, he said that, that James Harden should shave his beard so that people don't recognize him when he goes outside his house because he played so bad in game seven, which is fun. Like that's totally fair. I mean, if you watch some of the highlights, some of James Harden's highlights from that game, it looks like he purposely fell down on multiple occasions when he could have just gone up with the ball. We know how strong James Harden is. We know how he can take it to the rack with such high efficiency, but he didn't really do that. And like it, that goes back to players, not, playing to their strengths and not tailoring to their strengths and everything. It's, I don't know the, the 76ers, they, 
definitely have some things to figure out, but I think Matt's right. I think the, the overall point of this is the process at this point just hasn't worked. And I think they have to accept that uh, in the sense that, right. They had two first round, I mean, first overall picks in a row, 2016, I mean, 20, yeah, 2016 and 2017. And they both just turn out to be some of the biggest busts in, in NBA draft history. So, and, and again, like part of this topic was, for the past five years, the Sixers obviously have had the second best regular season combined regular season record. I think it's I think it's up there. In, it's like three hundred and one eighty or something like that, like three hundred wins and one hundred eighty losses, something something along that road. But that's a really good record in five combined years. And then you you get to the playoffs and it's just like they have no competency in the playoffs. So I guess that part of the topic is is another one that's almost like perplexed us the most is how they've been so good in the regular season, or at least so consistent over these five years when they've been dealing with guys like Markel Fultz and Ben Simmons, not working out. We know that Ben Simmons got traded to the nets last year, right before the playoffs started last year. Um, so it was, you know, a couple, it was probably like a year and a couple months ago that he got traded to the nets and he hasn't, he hasn't done anything there either. So I think, yeah, I think at this point that the Sixers kind of just need to face it. And the, I mean, they fired doc rivers. So that's kind of a start, I guess, to, to uh, signaling that they are in some kind of rebuild. But again, you've got two guys in Joel Embiid and James Harden who are stars. I mean, James Harden has kind of fallen off recently, but we saw in the playoffs, he was showing, I mean, he was showing signs of who he used to be in Houston um, and, you know, in Oklahoma city, not as much in Oklahoma city, but mainly in Houston. Like we saw sparks of that in, in the playoffs this year. And, so if he's back, you need to get somebody around him or you need to get a pack of players around him quickly. Uh, and we don't really know how that's going to happen. But Matt, if you want to introduce um, the next part of this topic with, you know, the quotes that we have, because I, I think that I kind of just so, like segued into what we're going to be talking about with with what James Harden and Joel Embiid said after game seven. Yeah. So so one of them was James Harden in basically talking on his relationship with Doc Rivers. And he said, quote, our relationship is okay. Uh, obviously now that, and we, you know, I mean, Hayden kind of wrote this in advance and and we had written this before, uh, or Hayden had put this down before, um, you know, before they fired Doc Rivers. So that kind of goes to show that I, I guess, and again, I don't know, I've never been a part of an NBA organization, so I'm never going to, and I'm never going to at all. Um, so I, I'm never going to know kind of what goes into, you know, firing coach versus kind of trying to see what you can get in terms of a trade uh, of, of assets for a player like James Harden. I would think that, I mean, again, like Hayden said, we saw him, you know, have sparks in this series. He, he carried the Sixers to the game one win in Boston. Uh, and I think he had, you know, what, 40 points or 45 points or something like that. And was just, you know, hitting everything and he was drawing fouls and he was making his free throws and it was classic James Harden. But, but then again, he, he has nine points in game seven in Boston. It's like, you had nine points, you had 45 in game one, you carried your team to a victory and they have nine points in game seven. That's just not going to cut it. And so, right. Is, is that a coaching thing where, you know, James Harden isn't able to perform or, you know, is, you know, can outscore himself by 36 points in the span of two, two games in the same playoff series. Is that the coaching issue or is that a player issue? I, I don't know. It just seems to me like firing coach is always a, an organization's way of being like, well, we're going to give the player another chance. But again, too, you know, we're kind of in that player empowerment area where, you know, if a player wants a bunch of money and or a player wants to be traded, you know, that's what they're going to get. I think Ben Simmons is the prime example of that, where he's like, 
yeah, I think I'm just not going to play basketball, you know, but you know, the $200 million contract is really nice. So I'll, I'll keep that though. Um, and, and, and so I think James Harden is kind of in that same realm and we've heard things about, you know, he's going to, you know, he goes to clubs and he flies to Vegas and he's in all these different countries. And he's like in between, in between playoff games and right. He's ends up playing well in those playoff games after he, you know, kind of t- does things that, that not many other players are doing in, in between playoff games, but Regardless, it's just kind of interesting how, I guess, that dynamic worked out. And then the second one was Embiid saying, um, quote, me and Gene, me and James need more help uh, after the loss. And, and this is where I'm kind of like, all right, you know, we we, we blame the GM, right? Sam Hinkie. I, I kind of talked about him. We talked about uh, Doc Rivers, who I think is and, – and, Credit part of my take, I, I listened to their uh, their episode yesterday, and I think that they said that in in um, closeout games, so potentially series clinching uh, games, Doc Rivers is a combined seventeen and thirty three. That's a thirty three percent or you know thirty two percent hit percentage. That's basically if you're going into a game and Doc Rivers is your coach and you're expected to close out the series, or you have the potential to, which again, it, they were up three two with a game in Philly left. Like people are going to forget that Boston won two straight games to end the series. It's basically a one in three shot, which is not good at all to that of a chance that you're going to be able to, to pull out that series. So and he's now lost 10 game sevens, uh, which is the most in NBA history. So Doc Rivers is a coach, clearly, right? He's kind of a choke artist, right? So we discussed Sam Hinkie, the GM, who kind of you know sucked on making these picks of, of Markel Fultz and Sam and uh, Ben Simmons. You have Doc Rivers, who's probably the least ch- least clutch coach of all time, or the most likely to co- choke uh coach of all time. And now you get to the players and you're like James Harden, I discussed, right? Had 45 in game one and 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 you know carried his team to a victory on the road had six or nine points in game seven. And then Embiid likely, or, you know, similarly only had, I think he had 15 or or whatever. Um, And then he comes out of the game and says, me and James need more help. And it's like, okay, first of all, you're the star players on the star on, on a star ridden team. Okay. You need to play to your potential. And so this is where I'm going to put the blame on James Harden and, and, and Joel Embiid basically being like, where is the sorrow? Where is the apologies? Where is the, you know, this is, this is considered a failure. Giannis had to get up there after he lost it. You know, they, they lost to the heat, you know, who were an eight seed and obviously, you know, now the heat are in the conference finals, of course. And so I think that, you know, and, and actually I, I was going to add another uh, topic on the NBA. I was like, what should I talk about? We should have talked about the heat who, who, you know, credit James or um, Eric Spolstra, who has never won a coach of the year award in the NBA, but has been to, I think, more conference finals than I, I don't know if he's broken the record because obviously you have like Phil Jackson in there, like some legendary head coaches. But um, at least for like a team like this, where the Miami was the one seed in the East last year, they get to the conference finals. They are the eight seed in the East, eight in the East this year. They get to the conference finals. It's like no matter what, this guy is still, you know, absolutely carrying his team. But like. What helped Joel Embiid? Like Tyrese Maxey had 30 points in multiple games this playoffs, right? Tobias Harris had, I think, I don't think he had over 30, but he was a very good contributing member of this team. PJ Tucker was kind of your your Draymond Green, you know, glue guy type of scenario. You know, DeAnthony Melton kind of made his name for going in there and being able to replace, you know, and, and, and play in a point guard role. Obviously, he's not a star, but like these are guys that are names that people know and and you you shouldn't expect them to be playing on your level like i don't understand this quote just makes no sense it's like you have help in your other teammates but you can't expect them to be the stars of the team because that's your role like newsflash um and i think afterward he went on to say that you know this was you know we i should have played better and all this and yeah that's that's great but it's like you don't lead off the quote with we need more help it's 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 
I messed up. I didn't play to my abilities and therefore I should be to blame. And, and again, Giannis sat up there and caught all the blame right after now. And, and, and he even won a championship and he was the one who stepped up and he was the absolute winner on that championship team two years ago. And Joel Embiid sitting here like, oh, well, you know, it's a pity party because I don't have enough help around me. And it's like, not only do you have plenty of help, but you should help yourself and actually play better in these game clinching scenarios. So those are my thoughts on the comments. Hayden, what do you got? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I was going to say I was going to be more on the side of Joel Embiid in the slightest because he's kind of right. I mean, you've got P.J. Tucker playing at the four or starting at the four on that team. And P.J. Tucker, Matt, you were right. He's, he's kind of like a Draymond Green type player when while well, you know, he's, he's a veteran and he's kind of on the smaller side. But really, all like all he does on offense is just sit in the corner. He's, he's a corner specialist. He's kind of a three and D guy. I'm pretty sure his, his defensive rating is actually pretty high when compared to most of the rest of the league. So you could call him a three and D guy, I, but I don't really know if that's what the Sixers need. I mean, I maybe Embiid is calling for another big guy that can kind of balance out the, the game down low, but I feel like Embiid is more of a, is more of a, like, you know, give me the ball down low by myself. I'm just going to make something happen. Maybe that's more Jokic that I'm thinking of, but I mean, cause Jokic can make, I mean, he, he just makes stuff like that's the definition of his game. It's just, do something that doesn't even look like it's going to go in and then it goes in. Uh, I think Embiid is more, he, his game looks more coordinated. And so maybe he's, maybe he does need more help down low and he's kind of more of a traditional basketball player in that sense, which I, I, I can, I can see that. I mean, if you want, if you want people to stop double teaming you, all you, all you really have to do at least for a center is just getting help down low where he can pass the ball easily. If he needs to, he can have another guy that, that is, that is willing to go down low and can take some contacts can, you know, get up high to the glass that, that isn't PJ Tucker. Who's like, I don't know, six, seven at max. So I think that, I think that Joel Embiid is kind of right in that sense. Like he, he has a point in the sense of he needs help down low, but I think the rest of his team, Matt was right. Like he, you got Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey averaging, a pretty good amount of points per game and they, they can go off for 30 on pretty much any, any given night if you ask them to. So, and then obviously James Harden is the other star and we see James Harden facilitating a lot, but then there's those games where he goes off and, he, and, you know, he shoots a lot and he usually has a lot of points those games, but I, I don't know. I, I think that down low, that's where they need help. And I think that Embiid is kind of asking for that. So maybe that's where they go here, you know, for the future. I said back in, you know, earlier, just a couple minutes ago that I didn't really know where they should go from here, but maybe that is like, maybe they go out and get somebody a power forward that can actually play down low. That's not PJ Tucker just sitting out on the corner and waiting for the ball to shoot a three. Um, Cause half, you know, he is a pretty good three point shooter, but you can't really always rely on that. Especially when you're, when you've got a, a, a guy playing at the four, that's just sitting at the three point line. You don't really want that. Um, I, I think that Joel Embiid wants more structure down low, on this Sixers team. And so that's kind of where that's kind of where my head goes to first when I first think of this. And then the whole James Harden, Doc Rivers thing again, Doc Rivers got fired. So it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't really matter to talk about that anymore. We obviously we wrote this topic before Doc Rivers got fired today. So uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of covered there. So with that being said, I think that that's probably enough talk about the Sixers and how abysmal that they've been um, in the playoffs, at least over these past few years. So we'll move on to the NHL. So similar kind of topic here. We've got the Oilers as the center of this topic. And the Oilers, if you saw that they lost a heartbreaking game six to the Golden Knights a few nights ago, which ended their playoff run as a whole. 
Now, most people, including me, thought that if for some reason, for, for some odd reason, the Bruins weren't able to win the Stanley Cup this year, then surely this would be the Oilers' year to do it. But we couldn't really have been more wrong uh, because neither of these teams have even made their conference finals at this point. Obviously, the Bruins got beat by the Panthers in the first round of the playoffs, and then now the Oilers just got beat by the Golden Knights in six games uh, in the second round of the playoffs. So neither of these teams, neither of the two favorites to win the Stanley Cup uh, leading coming into the playoffs have even made their, their conference finals. Uh, so what went wrong with the Oilers in this series in particular? I'm kind of interested in this series um, because I'm, we've already talked about the Bruins, so we're not going to talk about them anymore. But I kind of want to know, and Matt, if, if you if you want to go a different route with this, um, if, you know, if, you, if your research went elsewhere with this, then you can talk about whatever. But I do have some things um, that I want to talk about in terms of how the Oilers played against the Knights and then kind of how they played everybody else throughout the season and also, you know, in the playoffs um, when they beat the, uh, who was it, the, the Kings um, in the first round. So, Matt, take it away. I, I mean, I, I'm i going to be honest. I don't have too much for this, mostly because, and again, it, it for whatever reason, the TV executives decided to just hold all of these games at 10 p.m. on the East Coast, and that's when they start. And I'm like, I have a, a life and a job, and, you know, if I was in college like Hayden, which, you know, that's why he's actually watched the game, so he's going to be able to give you, you know, much better analysis on this. If if I was in college still, I'd be able to watch these games and have no problem about it. But it's like I have to wake up at 630 in the morning and I can't just stay up until 2 a.m. to watch these games. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm almost more annoyed that like I didn't get to watch the series because and I can't just, you know, during the day, just be like, oh, I'm going to record the hockey game and watch it later at night. I, I don't have that. I just don't have that much time during the day. I, I was just in general looking at kind of the scores for how this series went. And it just seemed it seemed just kind of lopsided the the entire time. The Knights won game game one six to four uh, in a game that the Oilers were were favored in, and and kind of everybody was like, oh, the Oilers are going to win the series, like you know, not even really giving the Knights any credit. Uh, game two in Vegas, the Oilers won five to one. So you know, th- then you're thinking, all right, the Oilers stole one. You know, in in Vegas, it was a pretty blowout victory. You know, they'll be able to take the series or at least get you know both their games at home. And then the the, the Knights come come right around in game three, the first game in Edmonton, and they won five to one. Right. And then you're thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe this is a series. The Oilers win four to one. So it was almost like it's just every game is, is, and this is kind of, I think, what I was saying too about in general in the, in the NHL playoffs, at least from what I've noticed, is that most of these games have been blowouts. And, and, and by the second period, you know, one team is already up four to one. And you're like, I think this is pretty much the end of the game. We haven't had a lot of crazy comebacks uh, or anything like that. And then the, the Knights won games uh, five and six as well. They won game five, four to three. And then in Edmonton, they won uh, five to two. So I think the only thing I'm the only, I guess, pattern that I can kind of take out of this is that the Oilers didn't protect home court or home ice at all, really. Um, They lost two out of their three home games, five to one and five to two. So not not great defense, I think, is is being played. And I I think that, Hayden, this is probably where you're going to get into it a little bit, where, you know, the stars for the Oilers, the guys who are on the, you know, the front lines and who are scoring the goals and getting the points and assists and all of that they're performing as, as about as hot as anyone could be. And they have, you know, basically the top three point scorers. Um, it seems like in the entire playoffs and, and but despite that, it's like it, these games are almost they're being blown out in a lot of these games against the Knights, who are a very balanced team. So uh, and who've actually had some injuries, too. So I'm going to let you kind of take it away here for for your comments on the series. Again, I'm just going to emphasize my point that, um, you know, can, can we have can we start these games at like 
just eight, like even eight, like, you know, it's fine. I get on the West coast. You're starting that game at five and you know, people are still at work. So maybe, okay. Maybe, you know, 6 PM there and 9 PM East, at least so I can get, you know, I can watch like a, a period, but it's like 10, you know, 10 o'clock I'm, 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 you know, getting ready for bed basically. Um, so yeah, so, so go ahead, Hayden. I'm not gonna, not gonna bore you with any more of my uh, annoyance with the TV executives here for ESPN. Yes. I, I feel your pain in, in some ways, some, sometimes I am I'm a little bit tired at 10 o'clock and I don't really want to watch sports at 10 o'clock. Like for some reason, I, I feel like my, my primetime sports watching mood is anytime from, I guess like noon until seven ish, I guess maybe that's, that's because football, that's kind of like, you know, NFL Sundays, that's kind of when the bulk of the games are. And so that's kind of what I've trained my body to, to like, but um, yeah, 10, something that starts at 10 o'clock, I guess maybe like 12 to 10 and then at 10 o'clock, kind of my, my mood and for watching sports kind of decreases a little bit, but I, I kind of understand that there, Matt, but I will tell you that, uh, yes, in terms of analysis of, of this series, first of all, uh, the Knights, they just, well, they have a, a lot more complete team than the Oilers. So the first stat that I want to, that I want to, uh, throw out there for you guys, it's actually one that I saw. It was uh it was it was it was one that I saw in the game last night between the Stars and the Kraken, uh, which obviously this topic has nothing to do with either of those teams. But um, it was it was pretty lucky that this stat came up and that I was watching when it did come up because it's really important to this topic. So essentially, they put up a, a little graphic of the top five point scorers in the playoffs so far throughout these first two rounds of the NHL playoffs. And um, one of the I forget which which player it is on the stars, but he's second in total points. Jason, Jason Robertson. He's no, like the think, Asian American guy, right? I think it was somebody else. Oh, but okay. Yeah. Him too, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, I don't know. He got a lot. Of, he was do. I think, I think he had like one of the best point or like one of those points totals in the, okay. in the regular season. So yeah, yeah, maybe in the regular season. Yeah. That, that sounds about right. But uh, anyway, Oilers uh, were in this graphic three times, three out of the five players in the top five point scorers for the whole playoffs up until this point were from the Oilers. It was yours truly, obviously, Connor McDavid was number one. I think he had 20 points. Leon Dreisaitl was third. Uh, and then Evan Bouchard was fourth. And Evan Bouchard, is I mean, he's hes a really good player, and he, he's, he's not really somebody that you talk about when you or that you really think of as soon as you think of the Oilers, at least not in my opinion, I, the three guys that I think of are obviously McDavid dry And then Evander Kane is kind of the third guy that I think of. Cause he's kind of more of a, I guess like a leader and kind of the glue on that team. But yeah, Evan Bouchard as well. He, uh, I think he was, he was fourth overall in total points scored this postseason so far. And so you're wondering where, why the Oilers are gone in this playoffs in this playoff run when they have three of the top five point scores in the whole um you know you know throughout the whole playoff so far and it's because a lot of and this goes back to Matt's points Matt's point about the playoff games both in the NHL and in the NBA but specifically in the NHL being blowouts because the Oilers what they would do was they you know they would score seven goals in one game they would have I don't know you know they would have like a seven to two win and then the next game, they would get blown out like five to two. And it's like, it, it doesn't work that way. And so the problem with the Oilers, and I think that this is ultimately my my main point, is that their defense is like, is abysmal. Like it's it's overly bad uh, compared to most other teams in the playoffs. Probably, they probably have the worst defense out of any team in the playoffs. Um, I would I would like to have that stat with me, but I don't. 
but I would hazard to guess that they, if they don't have the worst defense out of the whole playoff field, it's probably like in the bottom, you know, two or three. Um, and so that's, that's first where they're lacking. And then their, their goalie situation, this playoffs was a little bit, uh, I don't know. It's a little bit sketchy as well. So just for some backstory, uh, I think Jack Campbell was the starter for the whole entire regular, regular season, if not most of the regular season. And then uh, towards the end, I think he, he either got hurt or he just stopped really doing well at all. And then they brought in Stuart Skinner, who uh, was their starting goalie the whole playoffs up until this point. And Stuart Skinner, obviously the backup for most of the regular season, if not all the regular season, uh, he got the start for the whole playoffs and he started having trouble. I, I mean, I think he really started having trouble against the Kings in the first round. They were able to sneak past the Kings and then they started playing the Golden Knights. And that's where we really started to see some problems. I think he got pulled and replaced by Jack Campbell, I think in three out of the seven games against the Golden Knights, which is pretty terrible. I mean, I don't, I don't want to like, you know, really make this guy feel bad. Hopefully, obviously he's not going to listen to this, so he wouldn't hear this, but any Stuart Skinner fans out there, I'm sorry, but I think he was really the problem in this series. Like that's, that's what it came down to. And it, again, it's not totally his fault because like I said, their defense is really bad. Like their defense is worse than their goalie problems right now, I think. So that's probably what they need to fix most. But I think this this whole coaching change from Jack Campbell to Stuart Skinner right at the end of the season going into the playoffs was not the move, dude. Like if you've got one guy playing, if you've got one goalie playing almost the whole year, you take him out in the in, in the final couple of games of the regular season and replace him with the backup, the guy that's been the backup all year, and you make that guy start every game in the playoff in the playoff. Um, in your playoff series and you don't take him no matter how bad he's doing, no matter how many times you have to pull him in one series against the golden Knights, you don't even give Jack Campbell the start in the next game. Like I, I understand that you don't really want to mess up the flow. Like you want, you want a set number or a set list of guys that are starting every night. You want consistency in your lineup. I could, I totally get that, especially from a sports perspective in general, but I think for the Oilers, that's kind of what plagued them. I'm again, I'm not trying to make Stuart Skinner look bad or feel bad uh, because he's a great goalie. He did, he did great in the regular season when he took over for Jack Campbell, he was uh, I think through like five, four or five games at the, at the end of end of the regular season, he was saving 96% of, of pucks that were thrown at him, which is a lot higher than, you know, the average rate for um, most goalies that play over the course of a season. So Again, Stuart Skinner, he was he was great in the you know at the end of the regular season, but then once he starts having struggles in the playoffs, I don't know why, and I don't know their coach, I forget their coach's name, but I don't know why their coach decided to keep on starting him against a Golden Knight a Golden Knights team that's used to the playoffs. We saw them go uh, to the Stanley Cup Finals in their first year in the league, and they they were in the in the playoffs last year too. So um, I don't know. It's it just seems it, it seemed a little bit fishy that he kept Stuart Skinner in there. And then obviously with how bad their defense was, when you put a lot of pressure on a guy like Stuart Skinner, who's kind of a newer guy in the system, totally new. Uh, yeah. Basically totally new to the system. And he's playing, he's starting in every playoff game. Playoffs are just are, are so different in hockey. So I think that that's kind of where their downfall came. And that's uh, that, that that's my spiel on it. But Matt, if you have any, anything to say on that, we can uh, we can talk about that for a little bit. Or if you want to move down or over to a rundown, we can we can do that too. Yeah, let's let's just get into the rundown. I think that you know that that was some good analysis. I knew you'd be able to. I knew you'd be able to carry the team on that one, just because, again, you know, we we I think and and 
let me let me just I need to do this for the sake of the podcast. I need to look at this because I was pretty sure I'm like, it's game six. It's Saturday night. So, OK, it was Sunday night. But it's like this is the only hockey game on TV on a Sunday night. It's the second round of the playoffs for the chance to go to the Eastern Conference Finals. It's Sunday night. It's, there's no there were no NBA game. Well, there was the NBA game that Boston and, and Philly had played at 3 p.m. And, and the hockey game's at 10. It's like, what are we doing? So, um, yeah, at least Hayden was able to to watch them. But, I mean, again, it sounds like you came to the same. I was able to come to the conclusion that you made your entire point about uh, just by looking at the box scores of these games. So I think that, you know, it's, it's very clear that the defense is, is the problem there in Edmonton. So, uh, yeah, so let's just let's get down into the rundown. So the number one overall 24 high school football recruit, his name is Dylan Rayola. Um, he actually, he commits to Georgia, right? That was the big news this week. That's why it's a topic on the rundown, but he decommitted from Ohio State back in December. So um, Hayden, what do you, what are your thoughts on, on the, the kind of the, the switch here? I obviously either from Ohio State to, to Georgia, the, I guess this, I mean, we could do an entire I could talk about this for an hour, you know, whether because it's the transfer portal and it's the, you know, decommitting from, you know, one school and you're able to, to you know, randomly just commit to another school. Um, obviously, kind of the, the biggest takeaways is kind of what this does for Georgia going forward. So what do you got? Yeah, I'm not going to harp on this too long because, again, it is the rundown segment and we don't really want to. It's kind of the point is to not um, not talk about it for too long. But, yeah, I think my point for this topic would would probably just be the fact that Georgia does have um, a good quarterback now. So they've, you know, they've had um, Stetson Bennett for the past few years here, and he's just kind of been riding along with that insane defense that Georgia's had for the past couple of years. He's kind of just been like a byproduct of that. But now that they've had, now that they've been able to sign Dylan Rayola, the number one overall recruit ac- across the United States, I think that this is really going to get their program. I don't even know like how, this is going to work because again, we're so used to seeing Georgia with kind of a mid quarterback at best in Stetson Bennett. Sorry to Stetson Bennett for saying that, but it's kind of true. You, you know, you were kind of just a system guy in there, but I mean, he got drafted out of it. So, you know, right. Yeah. Um, But I think it was mainly because of that defense or all the success that that defense brought him. But, but yeah, now that they have, you know, this guy, Dylan Rayola, who will probably need to develop. I don't even know if he's really set up to start yet. That'll come later on when we kind of know more towards the beginning of the season what's happening in the you know the door the Georgia depth chart. But um, but yeah, like that's that's one thing that we saw with we saw with Justin Fields. He actually signed with Georgia first, um, and then he he ended up transferring to Ohio State. So it's kind of it's kind of weird. It's kind of like flipped for Dylan Rayola here. But uh, I mean Dylan Rayola, he was committed to Ohio State. He never went there obviously because he's not he still has to graduate this year. Uh, so he was committed to Ohio State, and then he decommitted and decided to go to Georgia. It was kind of the same thing with Justin Fields. He was, he actually started going to, I mean, um, Georgia first, he was there for his first year, then decided to to switch over to Ohio state and transferred there and had all, all of his success there and look at him now, you know, starting quarterback for the bears and and kind of that franchise quarterback look, look, it's looking like it, you know, going forward from here. So that's kind of all I had to say was, was kind of, you know, Georgia's just looking as looking like a absolute powerhouse at this point. Uh, and I don't really like it's it's going to be tough for Alabama and really, I mean, any other team that, that maybe like the LSU of the world, you know, LSU is kind of on the comeback here. It's going to be tough for those other, other SEC teams to really keep up with them at this point, I think, because if they can keep up that defense and, you know, everything else that they've done so well over the years with the number one quarterback recruit in this year's class, I don't know how they I don't know how they'll lose, basically. 
Yeah, it's 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 very true. And I think that you kind of hit on it a little bit, but um the the I think the most interesting part of this to me, and again, I'm I'm college football is actually probably my favorite sport, like of any of any major professional sport of anything to follow, just because there's there's like there's 130 teams, and so there's more to dig into, but it's also just like the all the behind the scenes that goes on in terms of you know the recruiting and the bag dropping and the you know the NIL and all that stuff and 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 just the dynamics of you know kind of the fan bases that are behind it. So um I, I definitely do love college football. And I think the the thing that interests me most about this is the fact that and, and he mentioned it like he he decommitted from Ohio State and chose to go to Georgia. And it's like kind of, you know, what does that say about the dynamic between these two schools who are, you know, two of the best college football programs in the entire country? Obviously, Ohio State has had, you know, sustained success ever since really, I mean, you know, probably the the last 20 years, basically, they've given a, consistently been one of the best teams in college football. Georgia has had, you know, I guess more recent success in terms of kind of the last five to six years, really ever Kirby since ever, uh, ever since Kirby smart took over there as a coach. And obviously they've won the last two national championships. So clearly, you know, they, they, they deserve to be, you know, in kind of this, this conversation of one of the you know best college football teams in the country right now, but you're right. It's interesting. The fact that in it, it's an opposite, you know, uh, situation as Justin Fields had. Now, the interesting thing about the Justin Fields situation is that he transferred because he spent a year at Georgia, but he couldn't beat out Jake Fromm. Now, I don't know necessarily whether it was a can't beat out or whether it was a coaching decision or whatever it was, uh, but Justin Fields clearly made the right decision to go to Iowa State. He beat Clemson um, in in that uh, in the playoff game and then almost beat Alabama, actually, in the national championship a couple of years ago. And then obviously has had a lot of success uh, with the Bears now, uh, unlike Jake Fromm, where I don't even know where he's playing right now. So um, good decision for for <laughs> for for Justin Fields there. But I think that's kind of the the mentality of it. And Hayden even mentioned this, too, is the fact that Georgia hasn't been known for its quarterbacks or, or as Ohio State has produced however many record-breaking quarterbacks in college football in the last, you know, five to 10 years here. So I think it speaks to the dominance of Georgia, but I also think it'll be interesting to see whether or not they do continue that. And Hayden mentioned this too, that like kind of defensive mentality of like, our, our quarterbacks are only going to kind of play the system, right? They're going to play off of our defense. We're not going to take chances. They're going to be smart with the football. And that's what Stetson Bennett was so good at and why he was so such a good fit at Georgia, because he never took any chances. He knew when to run it. He knew when to throw it away. And so now that you kind of get, you know, a five-star quarterback in there, what's he going to be able to do for you? It's going to be interesting to see. I think that, so their starter, I think this upcoming season is going to be a guy named Carson Beck. I think he was a four-star prospect. So it's like, they're still getting other good quarterback prospects. They just don't have kind of like the number one overall player where Ohio State has been getting that for the last few years. So kind of the dynamic between these two powerhouses you know, kind of who's able to kind of win out for, for a quarterback of this stature is, is really interesting, but I mean, yeah, to echo Hayden's point, Georgia's just going to continue its dominance. Yeah, exactly. Right. All right. Let's move on to the next rundown topic, which is the NFL schedule. Uh, it was released last week and it's always, I feel like the NFL schedule release is always hyped up way, 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 way too much. And that's really the topic today is, is that it's the question is, did it live up to the hype? And I'm going to pose this question to Matt first. I'll give a little bit of my thoughts on it afterwards, but I guess you kind of know from uh, what I, what I kind of preface this topic with how I feel about it. Yeah. And, and I'll agree with you. Um, I'm going to say no. I think that because we know how the system works behind the scenes, it's not hype for us. It's hype for a fan who's like, Oh, on a, you know, Thursday in May, when you're not really thinking about your favorite NFL team, it's like, hey, ESPN's doing a two-hour broadcast of the schedule release. Okay, that's gonna, yeah, that's gonna be something that you want to watch, and that's you know, in that 
case, yes, you know, that's a hype thing to happen. But if you don't know anything about the schedule in general and how it's made and everything, how it's decided and whatever, the day after the Super Bowl is, is played, the teams that every team is playing are released the day after the Super Bowl, right? The schedule release, so this entire thing that happened last week, that just determines when and where those games are going to be played. So you already know what other divisions, obviously you have the six games against your, you know, your divisional opponents uh, each year. You already know what other divisions your team is going to be playing, as well as the three, they call it unique games, which is basically just the random opponents in your schedule as well. So all of that added up, you're like, okay, well, you know, what do we do now? Because you have your six divisional games or your six games against divisional opponents. You have three other divisions that you play um, and then you have three unique games. So it's like, you, and, and me and Hayden know this, it's like you you already know what teams every team is going to be playing. It's just determining like what order they're going to be played in essentially. Um, but again, that creates a lot of interesting nuggets around like, okay, what teams are going to be playing on what primetime spots and, you know, what teams are going to get a big rest disparity, uh, you know, in, in terms of when their bye weeks are or, you know, wh- how consecutively are they going to be playing on primetime, uh, you know, maybe Thursday night versus Sunday night, all that stuff. It, it kind of gets in the weeds. And I like that aspect of it just because I like betting on the futures of the season win totals of, you know, the NFL teams and kind of, you know, who's going to win the divisions and and you know are the teams going to go over under their projected wins so that was exciting for me just to be able to see kind of an actual laid out schedule of like where and when all the teams were playing but in, in general like no we already knew who these teams were playing we just didn't know where and when and that's not that much more exciting to me at least so I don't know Hayden what do you got yeah my my take on it is the same exact thing it's just I think it's way overhyped I fall fo- I actually follow the NFL Instagram account so you already know that they're that's really the only thing that's going on right now um in the NFL you know after draft season it's like they they're scratching the surface for things to 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 post on uh on their Instagram which is fine cuz they probably have to have you know at least basically like at least one to two posts a day and so they have nothing to post at this point now that the draft's over and so all they're posting for the week leading up to the um the schedule release is like schedule released in seven days get ready at 7 p.m eastern and it's like and everybody's commenting and like like you can scroll through the comments and it's just why do i care after why do i care it's just yeah it it makes no sense why they they hype it up so much so yeah this is kind of like a a a little bit of a funny topic but moving on to our next um our our next and third out of fourth rundown topic we've got John Morant, uh, I'm sure you guys have heard the news. If you haven't, then I don't know where you've been. But uh, yes, something else than NBA playoffs here. John Morant has been suspended yet again from all Grizzlies team activities after another Instagram live video surfaced of him flashing again. Matt, what do you think? It's a bad look. It's a bad situation for everyone involved. And especially for and and again, I'm not I I obviously this is a wrong thing to do by John Moran. I'm not going to sit here and like talk for 30 minutes about how stupid he is to do this. Yes, it's it's a bad move by him. Um, I I think he, he I hope he understands that. Actually, clearly it seems like he doesn't because now this has happened twice and and uh, and, and hopefully that'll kind of this will be the last time that it happens. But I think the more interesting thing is to look big picture and be like. What does this mean for a Grizzlies team, which has been one of the most, I mean, you know, they kind of came out of nowhere a couple of years ago. They got the two seed in the West and, you know, they lose to the eventual champion uh, Warriors last year in the playoffs in the second round. Okay, cool. You know, what do you, you run it back, you get the, you get the two seed again this year in the playoffs and you lose to the seven seed Lakers who 
are, are honestly looking like a team that can win the championship this year. So you, you've kind of run to a buzzsaw every year in the playoffs so far, despite having the number two seed in the West, which is, you know, an accomplishment in and of itself. Uh, they were missing Steven Adams. They were missing Jalen Clark. So, uh, or, or um, Brandon Clark. So you, you kind of have excuses to pull as to, okay, you know, it, it makes sense. This Grizzlies team hasn't really gone anywhere yet, but the interesting, or the, at least to me, it's like the thing that is, is going to be a little bit weird or, or it'll be very interesting to see what goes on is the set is the fact that this Grizzlies team has taken on the persona of, uh, you know, this is a rough and tough team who will come after you. And, you know, we want all the smoke. Well, sure. But that's only if your own players can't keep their head out of the smoke, right? I mean, for lack of a better term, that's pretty much what's happening here. So I think that's kind of the, what I'm more wanting to see in the future is like, this is a team that has kind of come out of nowhere. It's really great for a city that doesn't get much shine, right? And a team that hasn't really had much success when it comes to just overall, you know, being in the NBA uh, or, you know, NBA overall success in the past few decades, really. Uh, I, I want to see them do well, but it's like, they they've almost gone too far with that. Like we want all the smoke mentality. So it, it's, it's, it sucks for the warriors or for the Grizzlies. Obviously they suspended them and, and, you know, whatever comes to that will, will come of that. So it's, it, I guess it's fine on that end, but, and then you had the Dylan Brooks thing where, you know, they basically released him or they didn't release him, but they're like, he's not coming back. We're not going to resign him. They basically there. I mean, I don't know if they're going to come or whatnot, but it's like this team is almost falling apart at the hinges without actually ever having any success in the playoffs, which is, I think it's kind of the, it almost encompasses, and, and again, we can make this a big thing, but it almost encompasses like the mindset of, you know, kind of young people coming up these days, people that are, you know, me and Hayden's age who are younger NBA talented stars who were like, we're the best because we won a couple games and Jaw's the best because Jaw can do a 360 layup. And it's like, not really because you haven't won anything. And and now it's like, you, you know, right. Dylan Brooks is talking all the smack and then LeBron's just like, Hey, I'm like 20 years older than you and I'm still better than you. And you can't say anything about it. And now, you know, he has the repercussions coming from him. So that's it, my thoughts on it. The Grizzlies are a team that I want to see do well, but that I also kind of want to see go through the trials and tribulations and have to overcome that, which they haven't done so far. And I don't see that coming really anytime in the future. Yeah, I would say the one thing I want to say about this is the fact that there's some people on Twitter and social media in general, and there's always going to be people that are trying to play devil's advocate or, you know, kind of trying to trying to be noticed and by saying something that's kind of stupid. Uh, but and I'm not going to call anybody out here and I'm not going to call any accounts out. I just saw something on Twitter that that had this whole spiel about like, oh, well, you know, yeah, John Morant, you know, yeah, flashing a gun on Instagram live isn't the best thing to do. And, it, you know, it's it's not really a good look for the NBA. But, I mean, this is a free country and, like, we can do whatever we want. So why is he getting suspended? And I'm like, dude, it's the Grizzlies. Like, it's the Grizzlies. I think it's the Grizzlies and the, the Grizzlies and the NBA's decision as a whole to, dis- to suspend him from team activities. Um, I'm sure that the Grizzlies have some say in it. And I'm sure that the NBA has some say in it as well. Uh, but it's like, dude, it's an, it's, it's an organization. If they don't want that type of look on social media, which I'm sure that they probably don't. I mean, it's, like Matt said, I mean, John Moran is one of the flashiest players, one of the flashiest young players in the league right now, one of the most notable players in the league. And you've got him on Instagram live with a gun in his hand. It's like, dude, you're a millionaire. You don't need to be doing this. A B this is not a good look at all for the NBA because again, you don't want kids. And we, we had this whole, uh, you know, Brandon Miller scandal uh, this past year with Alabama. Like, again, that's kind of a different situation because it involved somebody losing a life, which was tragic, but 
at the same on the same token, it's like this kid is one of the best young players in college basketball. Brandon Miller is, and he's involved with some kind of gun scandal. It's like you don't want John Morant to be influencing or, or really encouraging these younger players to do what he's doing because they want to they want to dunk like him or they want to you know posterize guys like him because once you put that on tape and you also put the gun on tape, it's like th- that's that encourages the wrong thing in my opinion. So I think that pe- people that are trying to defend Jar Moran are, it's like, dude, you don't need to be doing that. He doesn't need to have a gun. It, it, there's no reason for him to have a gun. He is, he can get all the security guards in the world to protect him and he would still have millions left over. So I don't want to hear it. Um, next and final thing is uh, Matt wrote this down. I, I didn't even know this, but Matt will explain it a little bit. Uh, Peacock is going to exclusively carry one NFL divisional round playoff game next year, or I guess from here on out, why is this happening? Yeah, it's, it sucks. I mean, it's just the NFL's attempt to more and more. So the, the, the story under this was that NBC and the NFL signed a one year, $110 million contract to broadcast one singular NFL divisional round playoff game. So that just shows you how much money that NBC is going to be making off of this and how much the NFL makes in general. And that the fact that, Hey, if they can make more money off of one contract, one, one year contract, because their product is better and, you know, above and and beyond anything else that any other sport can, can come up with, then, Hey, that's, that's pretty much what it's going to be. So I just thought it was interesting. The other thing that I want to mention just as another, you know, kind of final topic on the rundown thing here, um, unless Hayden, I mean, Hayden can kind of, I guess, answer both is the PGA championship is this weekend. So second major golf major of the year, um, be sure to watch it the masters obviously happened a couple or uh, about a month ago it's the fact that obviously the regular pga tour events are now kind of hampered by the fact that you don't have you know all the live players they're kind of all separate now and you're watching two different tours at the same time and really that means you're watching none uh but the majors are different the majors are where everybody is able to compete and all the live players and all the pga players are going to be together um and so yeah so it's, it's this weekend and i don't want to i don't want to i guess we are brushing over it by having it at the last little, literally the last thing in the podcast, but we'll probably have a segment on it um, because obviously, obviously after everything is played this weekend, we'll probably talk about it now next week's episode. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, your Brooks Kepka, Justin Johnson, you know, those types of guys are going to be playing this week. And I think it'll be a really great, uh, good to see at least, you know, for, for it's an Oak, it's at Oak Hill, which is uh, in Rochester, New York. It's like a, you know, it's kind of up there and it's going to be probably, you know, bad weather, raining and cold, which I think is interesting, too, to see kind of the 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 difference between what you have at Gusto National uh, in the middle of April between, you know, what we're going to see at Oak Hill this weekend. So definitely I just wanted to kind of quickly get in there, uh, get that in there for the end of the rundown. But Hayden, you got both of the the Peacock thing, if you have any, and then the, and then the uh, PGA Championship. Yeah, well, ironically enough, we had a lot of uh, some weather problems at the at Augusta this year with the Masters. We had those delays um at augusta for a couple or a couple of times we had one tree or two trees fall over the first time which was really weird um and then we had yeah we had some some rain and delays i actually both i think days three and four uh were delayed because of rain so or i guess no two three two and three were delayed and then it was carried over into four because they had to be postponed onto onto day four yeah it was it was a lot of a lot of weather complications which like Matt alluded to, we'll probably have in Oak Hill uh, for the PGA championship this weekend, but I will have to, I'll have to lay eyes on that because I haven't laid eyes on golf since the masters. I'm going to be honest with all this playoff action going on. So it'll be fun to, to watch some golf this weekend. Thank you, Matt, for the reminder for watching that. Uh, but yeah, with that being said, now that the rundown is over, uh, we are going to 
end off this episode for today. It was a pretty good one. I'm very happy with how it turned out. I think we got a lot of good information in here. And again, we kind of just kept it simple, just NHL and NBA and then rundown. Hope you guys are liking the rundown segments. If you're listening this late into the podcast, A, you are a real one because you're one of few that do. And B, um, yeah, if you want to let us know, uh, we have an email first down dot rundown at gmail.com, or you can uh, follow us on Twitter uh, at first down RD pod. Again, that's at first down RD pod. And you can let us know there kind of send us a little DM. We're following back whoever follows us on that account. So um, if you're listening to this, if you go follow that, we'll follow you back and hopefully we'll get that up and running soon too, with, with some more tweets going on. Anyway, uh, thank you guys for listening again. And the next time you will hear from us is probably later on in the week, maybe a little Friday, maybe Saturday episode, something like that. I'll probably probably be back in Richmond this week. So that'll probably be an in-person episode. This was a Zoom episode, if you couldn't tell already. Probably be back in person for that. So that's the plan from here on out. You guys have a great rest of the week and we will see you then.